Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight. We're breaking down... The Pocono 400 from Pocono Raceway as Martin Truex Jr. took the victory in, in Sunday's race. His 17th career win held off a lot of the big-name drivers, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, also had fast race cars today, as long, along with Kyle Larson. But it was Truex who prevailed in that one. We'll also discuss what happened in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race a little bit later. They had a the new restrictor plate package that has been tossed around last year, been tossed around this year a few times. We've seen it a couple of times. Uh, kind of a lackluster event in Pocono. We'll discuss maybe what we thought about the package uh, and, and the future of that as well. 917-889-8280 here joins the show tonight at any time, whatever you want to discuss. But first, we're talking about Pocono. It was the Pocono 400, Martin Truex Jr., 17th career win. Uh, had a really, really fast race car. I think Truex had the fastest race car today. I know Bush and, and uh, Kevin Harvick were really fast as well. But Truex, the only reason why he got he lost the lead was due to a bad pit stop. He had a problem with the jack on one pit stop, it looked like. He couldn't get the left rear tire off. Lost about nine or ten spots. Had to restart like 14th uh, to start stage two. Worked his way up. Got to the top five by the time stage two ended. And then uh, an, through a couple other pit strategies, got the lead and pulled away. Uh, no doubt a fast race car for Martin Truex Jr., and he won his 17th career victory here at Pocono Raceway. I think uh, it was a it was a toss-up between who had the fastest race car. I mean, Truex had a very fast race car, but whoever was in front had the fastest race car. And you saw it. Kyle Busch came out with, what, 20 laps to go. He had four fresh tires. His tires were 20 laps newer than Truex and Harvick's. And once Truex got gone in the restart, there was no catching him. And usually at Pocono, 20-lap tires make a difference. I mean, that's 50 miles on your tires that you have. Usually that makes a difference, and it didn't today. didn't matter who was in front. You could have a fantastic race car. I mean, Kevin Harvick led 89 laps. Kyle Busch had a great – I mean, Kyle Larson had a great car and didn't – didn't lead all day. <clears throat> so, I mean, it didn't matter how good your car was. If you were out front, you were the fastest car on the track or no one was going to pass you. Oh, yeah, clean air was key. Uh, I think that was, no doubt, that was a uh, a problem all day. You know, I think... Um, it, it's been a problem all year. It's kind of sort of NASCAR here, 2018. That clean air is king. And we'll talk about Truex. I mean, it had to feel good for him to go out. Um, you know, we've we seen Truex and we've seen Kyle Busch and uh, Kevin Harvick. They're really the top three cars all year long. Um, I think it was argued that Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick were the best race cars all year long, give or take. Uh, you know, one of those two were no doubt the best car, and Truex was a slow behind and third was a step behind in third. 
uh, had to feel pretty good for him to win today's race at Pocono, and these were his comments uh, in victory lane. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's always fun to win, it's, it, but especially when you beat the best guys out there. Those two guys were so fast today, and honestly, we were all really equal. It was it was a matter of who could get out front, and, um, you know, Ford and I stayed on tires. We uh, we felt like in practice we were really fast on scuffs, and so uh, Cole made a good call there to stay out, and once we got clean air, man, and this thing was a rocket ship. And clean air was key, no doubt about it. I mean, um, he he was gone, you know, and he had old tires too and was still gone on that restart. So on that final restart, just shows you. I mean, Truex and Cole Pern, I feel like they've been a little bit off this year compared to where they were a year ago. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but they're right, still right there. Like I said, they're still championship contender. I think the 18 and the 4 are the two best race teams right now. But uh, that 78, that was a big momentum boost for them today. Uh, and a big win for them today to get some points, uh, you know, getting ready for the playoffs here. They won at California and won a couple stages of California, uh, but today they won a stage and uh, won today's race and got a lot of extra playoff points that they needed for sure uh, here at Pocono Raceway. Yeah, I think Truex and Colburn, uh, they're two. That's that's a team you don't count out toward the end because to be the champion, you have to beat the champion. Until they're beaten, um, I'm not counting them out. Um, you watched the race today and you listened, you were at the race. I was watching it on TV and listening to Jeff and Daryl and Mike joy a good bit. And one of the things that Gordon kept saying is you look at the front four cars on this track right now, and it'll take a lot to, it'll take a lot to convince him that those aren't going to be the four cars battling it out at Homestead. You had Truex, you had Harvick, you had Kyle Busch and you had Kyle Larson. And Larson made some moves today that just amazed me. I mean, you would have thought he was running Port Royal Saturday night, the way he made some of those moves going from the top to the bottom, um, doing slide jobs on people coming in and out of the tunnel turn. I mean, Larson was impressive today. He didn't lead a lap all day long, finished second, but he was in the conversation and him and Chad Johnston found a way to get toward the front. They, ran good strategy. They were fast all day. They just never got a chance to get that clean air. And as Truex said, I mean, once you got that clean air, you were a rocket ship. And I think if Kyle Larson, that last restart, when Truex pushed them down almost into the, uh, they were down to- pretty close to the infield wall going into turn one. Cause Truex wanted to make sure that Larson didn't get a good entryway going into turn one on that final restart. I think if Larson does get by Truex, he's gone, and we're talking about Kyle Larson and not Martin Truex tonight. Oh, I totally agree with you. It came, you know, the restarts were where you made your passes, no doubt about it. I think that was huge. Um, and, you know, it was – you're right about Larson. He ran a really good race. It was probably the most competitive race he's run all year. Chevrolets have been behind. He's probably been the best Chevrolet. I has probably been the best Chevrolet. He has been the best Chevrolet with the most speed. Here are his comments today on Pocono on his second place finish at Pocono Race. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I actually like that the 78 pulled down to try and block me a little bit because um, it messed his angle up to the corner, and I knew he would have to slow down a little bit more on entry. And I was hoping I could get close enough to him to get him a little bit loose, which I did. But uh, I also got kind of loose behind him, so um, I just had to tuck back in line on exit and then try, try and fight off the 18 and the 4 behind me, uh, just trying to stay lower than them on exit to get them tight. So uh, happy we finished second because, you know, we were probably a sixth or seventh place car today, and 
um, you know, to finish better than where you run is always a, a good thing. So happy about that. Our DC Solar Chevy was really competitive. Uh, needs to be a little bit better to compete with, you know, the 18, the 4, and the 78. You know, they're definitely the class of field. Um, but we're, we're close, and we're getting a little bit better, um, but so are they. So we just got to keep working hard. That was, that was Kyle Larson's comments. He, you know, he's absolutely right, John, as far as I don't think he had the second-best car there today. You know, we talked about Truex, Bush, and Harvick. I think they were the class of the field. Um, but he pulled off a second-place finish, and that's part of the game. You know, sometimes strategy gets you up there. Uh, and he was very smart in particular with what he was saying there about the air, taking the air and getting somebody tight. Um, you know, it takes a very smart and a very intuitive race car driver to understand how to do that with somebody. Um, and Kyle Larson's got all that. I think he's – no doubt he's proven his talent. And, uh, you know, that 42's had – like I said, it's had the most speed of all Chevrolet teams, uh, and today was was a sign that if all goes right, maybe Kyle Larson can pull off a win and get Chevrolet back into victory lane for the first time since the Daytona 500. I think it's one of those things where you see the difference in a driver. Um, you look at the Joe Gibbs camp. They have four pretty much equally prepared cars, but Kyle Busch is head and shoulders above Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez, and Eric Jones. You look at Stuart Haas Racing, their cars are pretty close to being equally prepared. I know Clint Boyer's car is almost the same as Harvick because back when they were at Richard Childress Racing and Boyer was learning, coming off the late model, he still had hay in his ears, and he said, give me whatever Harvick does, so if he can run great in it, I'll just do what he does. And a lot of Boyer's setups are almost mirroring Harvick's, and Harvick's is, Harvick is ahead of Boyer. Same thing when you look at Kyle Larson. He is head and shoulders above every Chevrolet team right now. And Chevy is behind, and he's still showing his way to be competitive. It's amazing what a driver of that caliber can do. And like you said, he made a seventh-place car, probably finished second because of the way he drove today. Kyle Busch finished third. He led 13 laps today, um, but was always kind of there. He was always you – know, Harvick was led most laps. He had 89 laps led. Uh, then it was Truex, but Kyle Busch was always there in the top three. Um, you know, he he discussed his frustration in the post-race interview uh, that we're going to play here in a little bit about the tires and about the clean air and how much clean air really meant. Um, we're going to discuss that a little bit as far as Pocono, uh, what can be done to kind of solve that. And, and uh, Jeff Gluck had some interesting comments about that as well. But here was Kyle Busch, um, you know, and I know he gets a lot of flack for – when he loses a race and they say, you know, he kind of complains a lot. Um, and I understand that, but these were some interesting comments Bush had to make uh, in post-race. Take a listen. Well, we got tires for our final stop, and then um, we were leading the 78 and the 4. And then a caution came out for debris in one that looked like a, a shoe booty. And then uh, we decided to pit and put tires on again right there because we had about 10, 11 laps on tires, and that's where we got burned here in this race exact situation last year and so we didn't want to make the same mistake again but um you know it just once i got back there i just couldn't pass those guys you know it was just st stuck where i was at so um the four tires just didn't do anything today uh it was certainly all about being out front i might have been just as for as cool as it is you know their tires were pretty equal to, to ours with with the cycle on them that we had with a couple laps or one lap or whatever fire that we had um but Overall, good day. The M&M's Camry was fast. We were up front. Uh, we led some laps. We were 
with the four, with the 78, with the 42. I, I don't know. It's just uh, put any which one of us in whatever order you want, and that's how it was going to end up, you know. So um, seemed like that's kind of just what uh, what we all had today. Yeah, and that's what it seemed like. You know, those four were definitely the class of the field. I think the two and the 12, we'll discuss them a little bit as well a little bit later. Um, they were they were there. The, the 12 sat on the pole, finished sixth. Hit a decent race car, but um, I think if you talk to the Team Penske team, they will admit they're a little bit behind as far as Stuart Haas, Joe Gibbs Racing right now is concerned. Uh, what, what do you make of, of Bush's comments here, John, you know, about getting stuck in, in back in uh, dirty air and having new tires compared to the lead and still not being able to pass somebody. Um, to me, I like a little bit of variety where the strategy comes in. I'm surprised people didn't – there wasn't more two-tire changes. We saw, I think, Austin Dillon do that earlier in the race, and it seemed to pay off for him pretty good. Um, I'm surprised we didn't see that as much as on that final pit stop as we did. I was surprised to see as many cars stayed out, and I think maybe that had more to do with it than as far as, uh, you know – the clean air, I, you know, they had about six or six cars, I believe, on that final pit stop that stayed out, um, and that was kind of surprising to me that those cars stayed out there, and uh, I think that might have had more to do with it um, than, than the clean air. I think it had. I think the clean air had absolutely everything to do with why they thought about staying out, because if you look, I mean, look at the '78 team on pit road. They had a big. They had a mistake. Again. Day where they went falling like a rock and he had to work his way through it. Harvick was leading the race, came in for the pits. They ran they had a good pit stop. It just took him that extra split second to get around Ryan Blaney to get out of the box and Kyle Bush took the lead. That's the only reason Kyle Bush got the lead. He never passed anybody on the track to get the lead. He passed Kevin Harvick on pit road and had and led for thirteen laps. I think if you were in front, it didn't matter what anybody else had. New tires, no tires, four tires. If you were in front, you were going to lead. And that's the part of it that I don't get right now. I mean, 50 laps, I mean, 50 miles on your tires is supposed to make a difference. And it didn't today. Um, That was one of the most glaring things where you thought, well, tires will make a difference. And I think it did a little bit, but not as much as we've seen in the past. Even on, you know, when the strategy in the middle of that race got a little bit crazy where people were pitting earlier and then some teams decided to pit a little bit later, you know, break the stage up with, uh, you know, if you wanted to come in 15, you know, that 16 to 20 range or the 25 to 30 range, uh, split it in half or, or, you know, split it within 15 laps and then finish the stage on 35 laps. Um, it wasn't interesting. It was noticeable there that the tires really weren't falling off. So whatever strategy you were on, it was just kind of how your car was handling. So uh, I think that was something that was interesting. And and not that I, I don't like the tires to fall off because I do, but I think there's sometimes where we can go the opposite way where the fire, tires fall off a little bit too much. And it takes the strategy completely away because everybody's going to take four tires every single time. So I like the fact that we have where the tire falls off a little bit and it still allows you to have the freedom to stay out, make a two-tire change, or make a four-tire change if you if you care to do so. And I think that package had a lot to do with it today. Um, I'm not blaming the tire for what the issues were today for what a lot of people called a very boring race uh, and why the leader got out front. I think it has more to do with the package than it does the tires. Um, so I, I want to make that clear. 
919 or excuse me, 9178982880 if you want to chime in. Kevin Harvick um talks about this situation with the tires uh and why he decided to stay out there on that final pit stop um compared to the rest of the leaders and you know it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say. He finished fourth today, Kevin Harvick. Here are his comments after Pocono. Uh, that decision didn't matter at all. We lost control of the race on pit road when we didn't come out first. So, um, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. We just didn't come out first uh, like we came in. So it's a great car with our uh, Bush Ford. The guys did a great job. I mean, you win some, you lose some. I mean, it's, you're racing against guys like that, and it's kind of come down to splitting hairs. And, and the 78 and 18 uh, were both really good today. Um, and it was a lot of fun racing with him. So just got to thank everybody at Stuart Haas Racing and everybody on our uh, Bush Jimmy Johns Ford. Interesting comments by Harvick there, just to, to say that he thinks, and this is absolutely accurate, uh, the 18, the 4, and the 78 are very, very close, and they are. Um, you know, here we are, 14th race of the season was completed today at Pocono Raceway. Now we are in the second half of the regular season. We have the new optical scanning system oh yes uh what do you think about that now it was supposed to level the playing field take some stuff away from what the teams were doing as far as what last year where teams had a gray area and they knew which areas to push now this optical scanning system is not supposed to do that it's supposed to make everything level and even do you think it's too level I mean, to a point where these guys cannot pass, uh, or is it Pocono? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's everywhere. I think um, you think about it. Most of the time, the top ten, top fifteen cars are running within a tenth of each other or a couple hundredths of each other. And you look, Daryl was talking about lap times during the race, and he's like, "Yeah, Harvick's coming up." Truex is running a 90 and Harvick's running an 88. Yeah, two hundredths of a second would take him 200 laps to end up passing him at, at that pace. Um, it's one of those things. The cars are so in a box that you can only do so much with the package you have. And everybody is within of each other. If everybody's running the same speed, how are you going to pass somebody? you got to run faster than somebody else to pass them. That's why there's so much pressure on pit road. That's why restarts are so crazy. Because 90% of the time, if you're going to make a pass, it's going to be on pit road or it's going to be on a restart. I don't know how many passes we've had for the leap other than somebody stayed out on old tires and you see them 20 laps in or every now and then you'll see a car that, like today, Harvick was on a, he had a great, car for long runs Truex, Truex had more short run speed Harvick it took a while to get his car going Truex I mean he once he got out there he was gone Kyle Busch was a little bit in the middle he fell off a little bit on the long run but he wasn't super fast on the short run so he had a medium he had like a middle of the road car when it came to the two of them it just it's it's a factor of the package the tire thing tires either if you think about it yesterday at the xfinity or yesterday morning when they practiced it was what 80 degrees when they were practicing yesterday morning it never got up over 65 today and it was under cloud cover most of the day and yesterday it was bright and sunny whole different condition they had more horsepower in the engine because it was a cooler day they had better grip on the tires because it was a cooler day 
It just Mother Nature has her say in how the race is going to go, too. One of the things we have to look at with NASCAR as a whole is they have to look at this package. And we'll talk about it later in the show, but the package that they ran in the all-star race may not be what we want to see going forward. Certainly not on every track. I I certainly agree with that. And uh, certainly not without tweaks for sure. I think it's, you know, we'll talk about it later in the show, but uh, as I said, I think there were some signs that were good. I liked about the package and there were some things I didn't like about the package. Um, But again, uh, we'll talk about that later on in the show. 917-889-8280 if you want to talk about that and hear anything from Pocono here on Talking Circles tonight. Brad Keselowski was fifth, Ryan Blaney sixth, Eric Amarola, who started finished seventh, a, a good comeback story for him, found himself in the top five a little bit today as well. He did well. Jimmy Johnson was eighth, uh, Joey Logano ninth, and Chase Elliott tenth. Anybody really stand out? I mean, we had Blaney who sat on the pole won this race here last year. Pocono is a very good track for him, uh, but it just seemed like speed-wise, uh, especially late in the run, that 12 car just wasn't as good as the top four all day long and finished sixth. Well, one of the things with Blaney, he said flat out, we got behind early. We, we made a couple adjustments and went the wrong way. And once they got it tweaked up, because they were running 12th, 13th at points during the race, he got it back into where he was contending for the top five, finished sixth. It was a good day for Ryan Blaney. Good day overall for Penske. Joey Logano was a lap down because he ran out of gas. They couldn't get it full. They didn't get it full enough. He ran out of gas and still come back and finish ninth. Keselowski finished fifth. So even though they're a tick behind, fifth, sixth, and ninth is not a bad day for Team Penske. Um, Jimmy Johnson, another one, another workman effort, which isn't something we're used to seeing out of that 48 team. <clears throat> There's a lot of times that people have never thought, well, he hasn't really had to work for a whole heck of a lot. He's working for every position he gets right now. And an eighth-place finish was a great day for Jimmy Johnson, the way um, they were in and out of things all day today. One of the things I do have to say about the racing, again, like we said, with the Coke 600, the top four checked out and were gone. But there was some pretty good race from fifth. Yeah, hey, listen, there's no doubt about that. Uh, about that 600. It was an interesting package as far as the all-star race was concerned and the 600. Um, and again, well, we're going to debate the Xfinity cup package. Cause I think that's a very interesting conversation. Um, as far as but which one we like better, I like to come back. Even yeah. today from fifth on back, they were two, three, four wide. There was times there were three wide going through the tunnel turn. You're waiting for two of them to plow into the wall and somehow they made it through there. I mean, there was some pretty good racing between 5th and 15th. The first four checked out. You didn't hear from them most of the day. I mean, there was one point Clint Boyer was in fourth place, and he was 14 seconds behind the leader. So it's one of those packages that if you get in clean air, you're gone. And if you're back there battling somebody, it's some pretty good racing whenever they're battling with somebody. But once you battle, you give the chance to the leaders to get gone, you're never going to get near them. Yeah, Martin Truex Jr. I mentioned earlier had that problem on pit road where he lost the lead and fell to, I think, like 14th or 15th after a pit stop. He worked his way up pretty nicely uh, in stage two. I'm not exactly sure where he finished uh, up in stage two here. I'm going to take a look. He finished fifth, or excuse me, finished fourth in stage two there. So he was able to work his way up from about 14th to fourth in stage two, which is pretty good considering, you know, how strung out the field gets. Uh, and stuff that can happen back there. So he was able to pass, no doubt about it. I talked about Eric Amarola 
you know, you could say what you want about 34th. Well, he had some, you know, stops in a race to help him get up there. Strategy, sure. But that's still uh, evidence that you can pass if you needed to pass today. Um, I don't think that was that big of an issue. But you're right. I think the front once the front field, and, and it's a different field for sure once you get out there in the clean air and once you get back two, three, four, five cars. Um, I think once you get back six, seven cars and, and further back like that, um, it sort of equals itself out a little bit or it's at least not as distinct as it is for the first four or five cars, the clean air. So um, your point's well taken. I totally agree. I think there was some certainly some passing um, in the middle part of the, of the race, both here and in the Coca-Cola 600. Um, and, again, it's evidence with Amarola. Truex proved that as well um, to come through the field the way he did. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's some pretty good racing in this. They just have to be able to figure out – how to make it to where if you're in clean air, you're not gone. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, the one thing that I go back to is a few years ago when they created the Gen 6 car. And everybody's like, well, we don't know what it's going to be. That first year they did it, they had all the horsepower in it. There was no apron spacer. There was no playing with downforce or anything. That season was great. There was some great racing all year. There were some great finishes throughout the year. And then they started tinkering with it, and they went in the wrong direction, and they haven't found their way back. If they go back to the way they set up the first year of the Gen 6 car, I think we have a package now. The owners wanted to – I mean, everybody kept saying, we need to slow the cars down. We need to be able to put more down – or take away downforce and all that stuff. It just – hasn't been good since that first year they brought the gen six car out and they ran all the horsepower with it i mean you keep hearing restrictor plate um big drag big downforce i think the first year they came out with it they took there was no plates on anything except the daytona and talladega there was no tapered spacer everybody was running 900 horsepower everybody's running 9,000, 10,000 rpms and it was some great racing and we haven't seen it since. Yeah, it's, um, you know, for certainly, especially in the front part of the field, like I said, if you go through 11th to 20th here, Paul Menard was 11th today. Then it was Austin Dillon, Matt Kenseth, 13th, 14th, Ricky Senhouse Jr., Jamie McMurray, 15th, David Reagan, 16th, Chris Buescher, 17th, William Byron, 18th, Kurt Busch, 19th, 20th, Clint Boyer. Boy, Bush had a tough day today, Kurt Busch. Uh, just never really seemed to find a handle on that on that 41 car. Started sixth, looked like he had a lot of speed in that car. Uh, just could never find a handle, had some issues, but then it just never seemed. They were making crazy adjustments on pit road of that 41 car. I watched him all day. It was just kind of a, a, a crazy day for, for Kurt Busch. Clint Boyer had some issues uh, there as well. He ended up 20th, missed a shift on a final restart that cost him a lot of positions. Um, what do you think, who stands out for you? 11th through 20th today. Well, the one that stands out for me is Matt Kenseth. And we're going to see a light at the end of the tunnel from this one because the sixth car finished 13th. Matt Kenseth, after the race, said flat out it was a struggle all day. I felt fortunate at the end with some pit strategy by Matt Pusha and some cautions that got us back into position to finish 13th because we didn't run that well. He said he feels we made a small amount of headway, but there's still a lot of work to do. That car wasn't a 13th place car. There was times a lot during the day they were 25th, 26th, 
and it was some good calls by Matt Pusha um, to get them in position to have a decent day out of it. Boyer missing a shift. I mean, Boyer was a top four, top five car throughout a lot of the day. And on that final restart, Boyer was in the top five and missed a shift and wound up going back to 20th. Um, tough day for Clint Boyer. I mean, he had a good car. They were running well with that 14. Um, again, Kurt Busch, no idea what happened there because they were out to lunch. I mean, they were struggling all day long. They were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at that 41 car to try to get it going, and it just didn't work. A um, couple of the other ones in the top 20 that uh, it was really a nice run for David Reagan. I mean, there was a couple times he was a lap down. They had to take the wave around, um, which got him back on the lead lap. But he said, I mean, as he said, it's fun to race at the end. We probably got a few, finished a few spots higher than we should have finished. But it was a nice day to be on the lead lap and be close to the top 15. And when you're um, front row motorsports, a top 15 finish is a good day. Yeah, and that final restart had a big, uh, you know, a big help to him and Stenhouse and Kenseth, no doubt about it. They were all kind of in that uh, lane that Boyer wasn't in, and I think it really benefited them for sure. Uh, you know, you talk about Kenseth, there was there is a lot of work to do on that six car. I mean, he he should be fortunate. Him and Stenhouse should be very fortunate about where they finished today and chalk it up and say, hey, you know what? Um, we 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 didn't have the best day. We got a decent finish out of it. Okay, we'll swallow it, take it. We're not gonna complain about it, but. Um, it was certainly a struggle for both of them today. I thought Matt Kenseth, uh, there was times in that race where, he, like you said, he was 25th, 26th, and just out to lunch completely. He was going to fall two laps down at one point before a caution came out, and you're going, oh, man, that's, you know, if you're a Matt Kenseth fan, and there was a lot of them today there, John, at Pocono. I saw a lot of Matt Kenseth fans, a lot of, um, you know, cheers for him when he was in driver intros, and I said, well, that's good for Matt. You know, he's starting 26th. I hope he's got a little bit of speed in there to, to please his fans. And I think for two-thirds of that race, for a good probably three-fourths of that race, they weren't very thrilled with what they were experiencing. And this is a long process here at Roush Fenway. Matt, and we know he could do it because he proved it up till last year, that he can run in the top ten and win races. And it just shows you how far off right now that six car is. Jack and that team have a lot of work to do. Um, but with Kent at the board, you know, he can help figure out what's going on with these race cars. I know um, I was listening to the radio today, and David Reagan was talking about how he felt, at least in the engine department, he was a little behind because he didn't know whether it was the gearing or uh, or something up with, with you know, but he said when he went to third to fourth gear, he just didn't seem to have the same speed as everybody else, and he kept getting beat uh, coming, off, coming off the corner, which was accurate. Um, I don't know, and I know the Roush cars are – very similar to the front row motorsports cars. So maybe that has something to do with their struggles today. And Matt and Ricky felt the same way and they could get that fixed for Pocono. But Pocono has never really been a great Roush racing track. Uh, it just hasn't been, you know, they were, their bread and butters used to be in a mile and a half and they did well in the short tracks, but um, you know, they're going to have to start running good everywhere. If they want to get better again, you chalk it up and you say, Hey, not a bad day. Uh, 13th and 14th. They got a little bit lucky, some attrition at the end of that race with, uh, Suarez and, and Eric Jones and uh, Alex Bowman and, and Denny Hamlin crashing had a lot to do with it. A misshift had a lot to do with it. So you'll take 13th and 14th, but again, a long day for Ash Fenway at the racetrack uh, for sure. I, I don't know if the speed was where they wanted it to be. I talked about the attrition, John. You know, Suarez got a piece of it. Uh, the accident occurred. One of the big accidents 
uh, occurred on lap 148 when um, Denny Hamlin and Alex Bowman got together. Hamlin was uh, in the middle of turn one, and it just seemed like his car shot up the racetrack, took out Alex Bowman. Bowman wasn't running great. He started okay, was very confident with the car in practice, um, you know, and, and was running about 10th or 11th when the accident occurred. What was your thoughts on that accident at 148 with Hamlin and uh, Alex Bowman? I think Hamlin just hit that bump in turn one wrong and uh, shot him up the track, made him a little loose, and he got into Bowman. It was it was a racing deal. I mean, it's one of those things where it's unfortunate that Bowman wound up was salvaging a decent finish for himself. He was staying consistent. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. And he was running top 10, top 15 throughout the day. Hamlin was running 6 through 12 most of the day. So it's one of those, you chalk it up to you hit the bump, and he just hit it at the wrong spot. A um, couple other places that I want to talk about of people who had decent days and bad days. I mean, Bubba Wallace, I feel so bad for him. He was running well, made a mistake, got caught speeding on pit road. Um, they took a wave around. They were on the older stuff. Casey Kane was trying to get by him. He tucked in, and uh, he was leaning left whenever he was going through, and he missed a shift and put it in second gear and just blew the engine right there on the front stretch. Um, so it was a last place finish for Bubba Wallace, but his car was better than last place throughout the day. He was a 10th to 15th place car throughout the day. Um, Michael McDowell, that's a day, this is a day where even though he finished 21st, you can look at it as almost a top five for them because as he said, after the race, I don't think anything worked. The track bar motor didn't work. The cool box didn't work. We had a fire under the dash. He got spun on pit road and actually pitted the car backwards. Uh, but a 21st place finish for Michael McDowell with all the stuff they went through today. Uh, that was a pretty good finish for them. Yeah, and that 34 car, for whatever the reason, seems like they just have some uh, the weirdest things happen to them this year so far. And McDowell, who had a really good year, uh, in the 95 car a year ago, came to Front Row Motorsports in his first year, and they've had some decent speed, um, but it just seems like they've had some really weird, wacky things happen to them in the first 13 races of the year. We've seen them run pretty good. They ran great in the Daytona 500, had a couple other good runs here throughout the year, but uh, for the most part, it's been a season full of uh, just crazy stuff happening to that 34 car, really out of their control. Um, you know, I remember I think it was Bristol early on in that race to get tagged, I think lap eight and crashed and ended his day there or for all intents and purposes, uh, ended his day, um, there. And it's just been wacky stuff today. Had it was a heck of a day for him for sure. Uh, you know, another tough day for Matt Benedetto. He had an engine or his brakes went, um, for Matt Benedetto. So that's a little scary to go to be at Pocono raceway, not being able to, uh, slow your car down. Um, so an interesting day for him as well there. Uh, the other accident, one of the other big-time accidents was uh, the accident with Eric Jones, Joey Logano, and Ryan Newman on lap 152. Just looked like Logano and Jones got together, a racing incident on the front straightaway, and causing a big wreck. Yeah, it seemed like somebody missed a shift coming through on the start-finish, and they sort of accordioned up, and when Jones started trying to go um, get underneath them as they just passed the start-finish line, Joey was there and had a good run, and they just sort of – it was a racing deal where they got into it. Jones spun, took uh, – hit Newman in the door in the front end a little bit and caused Newman to go backwards because Newman was about 10th, 11th at the time of the accident. 
and wound up going backwards and finishing um, wherever the heck he finished. Uh, let's see, Newman was 25th. Uh, but he, Newman thought they were making gains in qualifying. They ran decent. They were pushing in turn three. But um, they had a decent day uh, until they got involved with Eric Jones. They were running 12th at the time of the accident. And that gate for those guys. Jones, um, you know, it wasn't a great day for him, but uh, he ended up finishing in the 29th position. They were able to salvage some of the car and keep on going, but uh, 29th place run for him. Final thoughts on the cup race at Pocono before we move to the Xfinity Series and the package and all that good stuff, accomplished failing inspection, and all that good stuff in the Xfinity Series. If you have clean air, you're great. If you're in the back, if you're in the middle of the pack, there's great racing. And uh, if you have a bad day, there aren't that there wasn't that much attrition toward the very end. So if you had a bad day early, you were back in the back. I mean, look, Bubba Wallace uh, missed a shift, and he was in the second stage and uh, finished dead last. Certainly, uh, clean air was king in the front there for a lot of teams and a lot of drivers there at Pocono Raceway today. Yesterday was the Pocono Green 250 NASCAR Xfinity Series event. Kyle Busch was your winner. Led 64 laps. He beat Chase Elliott, Daniel Hemrick, Austin Sindrick, his best run of the year, Cole Custer, Elliott Sadler, John Hunter Nemechek, Paul Menard, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Truex, your top 10 from that event. Uh, what made that race so interesting and so unique was the package they ran. They ran uh, the package that we saw on the NASCAR Cup Series All-Star Race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. They, all, they also ran it last year at Indianapolis in the Xfinity Series race. Ran it, ran it yesterday in the Xfinity Series race at Pocono Raceway, and the praise um, wasn't too thrilled. Chase Elliott wasn't very thrilled with it. Kyle Busch uh, wasn't thrilled with it either. He was victorious, and he wasn't thrilled with it. Um, it just seemed like you know a normal Pocono race where um, – the leader got out in front and not a lot to do. It was a lot slower. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Pocono, two, Pocono Green 250, the Xfinity Series race at Pocono? Well, the package was supposed to, quote, air quotes around this, bunch up the field. The, the package was supposed to create passing, create lead changes. Five drivers led the race. Bush was 64, Cole Custer 23. The next was John Hunter Nemechek with four. Menard led three to win a stage, and Austin Sindrick won, led one. 100 laps, those are your leaders. And this is supposed to be a package that is supposed to bunch up the field, put them closer together, give them a chance to pass for the lead. It didn't happen. Um. They were running 20 mile an hour slower than the cup cars. And even Ross Chastain after the race said, hey, um, I think we misremember almost the Roger Clemens quote from uh, whenever he testified in Congress for steroids. He said, I think maybe we remember the uh, indie package a little too good because I don't think it was as good as they everybody thinks it was. And they ran it again at Pocono, and it was a stinker. Again, if you're out front, nobody can pass you because you've got the clean air. Um, and then nobody else has the juice to pass you because of the engine's restricted. So it's not like you have something in reserve. You're running f foot on the floor flat the whole time. It just doesn't work. 
And especially whenever you go around turns like Pocono, you have to you have to break hard going into turn one. And it takes you how long to get that restrictor plate going again. You see it at Daytona, it takes them a whole lap to get up to speed. And when you put the brakes on yes. with these cars, you just it takes forever to get going again. So if you break going into turn one, you might get your momentum back right when you're hitting the tunnel turn. And guess what? You got to break again. So yeah, I don't was, know what good this package is going to be at Pocono. And it was interesting because I saw a comment from the uh, head of aer- aerodynamics at NASCAR who basically said the package was snickering. Apologize. Watch next week at Michigan, which makes sense with the banking, and, and it's a lot more similar to Charlotte than Pocono is. Uh, he said it'll be great, and a lot. And I've heard a lot of people talk about Michigan and how they think it's going to be Daytona Talladega type. We'll see because a lot of people thought today was or yesterday was going to be a great race for the Xfinity Series, and it wasn't great. Um, listen, I just think we need to continue to work on these packages, but. You know, restrictor plates are, to me are not the answer. I know a lot of people like to pack the racing and, and drafting, meaning everything. And you know, I like when the drivers mean something, when the team means something, and uh, you know, when you're out there running around and just making these guys work for it. You know, Chase Elliott said it wasn't very fun. We're 20 miles an hour slower. You know, you're kind of sitting there going, eh, "This isn't really what I signed up to do." Um, and you know, the package needs some work. Uh, I think there's some things that are really good about this package. I think, personally, I like the fact that we're slower through the corners, but I don't like the fact that we're slow on the, slow on the straightaways to where these guys don't have power. Now, I, I think there's a way to where we can maybe add weight to these race cars to where um, we can make them a little bit slower through the corners where they have to break a little bit more. Um, I think that would be cool to see, uh, just where you can lean on each other a little bit and not take – the air out from somebody's rear end and, and get the dirty air, and then all of a sudden your car doesn't handle good, which is what we saw today at Pocono for, uh, you know, at least the lead um, up in the front runners. But I thought today's package was a lot better than yesterday's. Um, you know, to me at least, there was some stuff you can do. You could work on your race car. I just, you know, you were sort of at the mercy of the draft and the mercy of momentum. I'm not a big momentum racer where uh, if you lose your momentum, you know, you're done for three laps. Uh, you know, until you get your momentum and get back in your rhythm. I'm not about that. It, it should be about, you know, going for a pass. And that, to me, makes drivers a little bit reluctant to pass somebody to where you say, hey, I, I don't want to do that because I'm going to lose my momentum. Well, I want to see you going. If you think you have a faster race car, I want to see you go and, and try and do everything possible to get around that race car. Um, but with these with the momentum the way it is, and, and if, you know, you get onto a car and, and all of a sudden you have to get out of the gas and you lose three spots, you know, now you're sitting there going, well, I'm, why even make that pass? I'll just wait till the guy makes a mistake in front of me, and I can get underneath him. So, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things to discuss about this. You know, I think the air ducts are okay underneath the front end of the race car, um, but I just don't think the restricted plate's the way to go, especially at Pocono. Uh, that definitely did not work yesterday. Um, I thought today's package was way better. Yeah, I think um, either way, um, Jeff Jeff Gluck put it up there pretty pretty uh, today. He said the Xfinity used two completely different aerodynamic packages this weekend with a speed difference of about 20 mile an hour. But either way, the result was the same. Once the leader got into clean air, it was impossible to pass him, and it showed it. And part of it with Pocono is as much as you and I both love that track, because we 
that's where we grew up. I mean, you being from northern New Jersey, me being from central Pennsylvania, that was the easiest track for us to get to. But the way they build it, the straightaway is long enough you can land an airplane. And you've got three turns that were made off based off of three different racetracks where passing wasn't something that was normal. And you look, the tunnel turns made off of Indy. Turn one is made off of the old Trenton Speedway. And I forget where three was off of. But the three tracks that uh, Doc Mattioli decided to make the turns off of weren't conducive to passing. So all your passing has to be done on the short chute going toward the tunnel turn or on the big straightaway. There isn't a lot of passing going on in the turns because there isn't the banking to keep you there. So Pocono, as much as we love, we love going to the track, isn't basically, it isn't built to become the side-by-side racing capital of the world. You're going to have the straightaways where you get your stuff done. You got to file almost single file to get into the turn. So you don't do anything goofy and you make it to see, make it to come out of the turn, but it's good racing. It's just different than any, anywhere else we go. And, and you that's can't, the thing, you know, you can't end up putting the square peg in the round hole and thinking that the same package is going to work on every track. You remember back before we had the car tomorrow, they built cars for short tracks. They built cars mm-hmm. for concrete tracks. They built cars for mile and a half. They built restrictor plate cars. And they said, well, let's do right. the car tomorrow where we could run at Richmond one week and Daytona the next week. The tracks are different. You have to build different cars, different setups, different everything for each track. They got to get back into doing that because that's when we had competitive racing. Uh, see, I totally agree. I think I've been saying it for a while, and even not as crazy as we used to have it. Um, you know, where it was like you know you built different race cars for every single racetrack. You know, if we had three different templates or three different um, you know ways we measure the race cars now with the OES or the OSS, um, say this is what we're going to do for mile and a half. This is what we're going to do for the speedways. This is what we're going to do for short tracks. This is what we're going to do for Pocono. Uh, and just put it in there and say, okay, it's different. Your car has to fit these templates for Pocono. It'll be a lot harder, a lot more work for the teams, but I think it would be better for the fans. I really do. I think it would be a much better race. I just I find it impossible to me that you can run the same package at Richmond that you run at Pocono uh, and say, well, we're expecting to see two good races. Now, I'll say this. Pocono's been around since 1957. The Cup Series has been going there since the early 70s. I think 73 or 72 was the first race there. Um, it hasn't always been a bad racetrack, uh, a racetrack where people say, oh, we've got to take dates away from it. I don't think it's always been a racetrack where you say, it's, we, we just got to go out, get out of there. Um, it's always been a, a the same racetrack. Racetrack hasn't changed at all in since 1957, um, since they built it. So that I think is something we maybe look, look at, and that's where we look at the packages and say maybe it's time to start to look at the packages a little bit differently and get to where these cars can run a little bit better at these racetracks. Again, I think today's race in the Cup Series was horrible. Um, you know, I thought yesterday's race was horrible, but I didn't think today's race was horrible. Um, it just it needs a little bit of work and, uh, and and continue to work on that. And I'm all for trying some things, trying different things, uh, but throw yesterday's package out the window and try again. That's all I'm saying. Well, speaking of yesterday, um, 
Kyle Busch won the race, but that wasn't the story of the day. The, the story of the day was Kyle Busch's car failed inspection at the end. The left front ride height didn't pass. So here you go again. We've got another cup driver coming down, winning the race, and then failing inspection. Denny Hamlet did it last week, last year at Michigan. We had uh, Ryan Priest, even though he's not a cup guy, he won a race for Joe Gibbs Racing, failed inspection. Um, it's getting to the point where it's really getting disgusting. I think the four best Xfinity races we had this year were the Dash for Cash races, where there were no cup drivers involved. And I was talking to our mutual friend, Lee in Virginia, um, early this morning about it, and, and He wants the driver suspended. He wants the driver suspended. He wants the team suspended. Back when Junior Johnson had a penalty where he really ticked off NASCAR, they took his number away. So, I mean, it's one of those things where that post-race inspection, especially when you're a cup driver coming down, and all you're all they're doing is racing for the wins. They're taking money out of the pockets of people who need it, want it working just as hard as anybody else to get there. And you've got a team with all the tools and resources of cup teams coming down, winning races and then failing inspection. Yeah. And that, that's where, you know, I have to wonder, because I don't think there's a penalty in the cup series, if I remember correctly, as far as the, the it being too high. Um, for some reason, I feel like, They've taken that away, and, and they've kept it in the Xfinity Series. And from what I've read today on Twitter and social media, um, that should hurt the way a car handles, but there's still no reason for it to be high, and there's got to be a reason why it's a penalty. Um, so at the end of the day, again, you look at it and you say, how much did that have to do with it? Now, it bothers me when you look at it and you say we've got these cup guys coming down here with these cup teams, with the cup engineers, with these cup pick crews, and doing an Xfinity Series race and beating the brains of these Xfinity Series teams and still cheating. But my, I guess my point of this is I understand where the anger from Lee and Virginia is coming from, but I don't think I think Kyle Busch wins that race anyway. Yeah, um, you know it wasn't that he cheated and um, that's why he won the race. You know Kyle Busch has won. 92 races in 10 years in this extended series, you know, uh, he's just been that good. And I understand, again, I understand where Lee and Virginia is coming from, where he wants the whole team suspended and everything. I get that because it's infuriating to say, well, how can these teams cheat when all, when, with all the, with the advantage that they have, how can they fail post-race inspection? Um, but again, I, I think Kyle Busch wins that race either way because he was just that good yesterday. Um, I think that the small, you know, who knows how exactly how high he was, but I think that small little detail didn't really change the race all that much. And then you can get to this point of, are we inspecting these cars too closely, yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, I, again, I think Kyle Busch was that race yesterday, going away whether or not that car is too high or too low in, in post-race inspection. Well, I don't disagree with you that on that. I think Kyle Busch wins that race. Here's the thing. And this is where it bothers me. If you're going to have a rule, take the gray out, make it black and white. If you fail, you cheated, you lose everything that goes with it. If you fail twice, 
the car goes home. I mean, it's getting to the point where the rules are as flexible as Gumby. And why not, if you're going to have rules, you got to enforce them. Don't go, don't put it into the equation. Well, I think Kyle Busch would win the race, whether they were out of inspection or not. You're probably right, but that has nothing to do with the rule book. The rule book is supposed to be a black and white, no interpretation. These are the rules. It's sort of like the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit on pit road, but we're going to give you a 5-mile-an-hour. So what does everybody do? They set their tachometer at 59.99. Nobody's following the rule of 55. If they know that they get that extra 5-mile-an-hour, they're going to go to 60. So why even say the rule's 55? If the rule is there, enforce it. If you break the rule, there should be no second and third chances. Um, you don't get that. I mean, I got whenever I went back to Pennsylvania last weekend, I got nailed for 66 and a 40. But I, do I get to go, well, officer, I thought I was doing okay. I would have made it to where I'm going safely, whether I was going 66 or 46. No, I'm paying the $151.50 for it. State police don't have the, uh, well, I think your intentions were okay. I think you would have won the race regardless. No, you're paying the fine. They need to get serious with these guys and say, okay, this is it. The next person that fails inspection goes home. I don't care if you've got a charter. I don't care if there's 150,000 fans there and 35,000 are there to see you. Guess what? You let them down. We didn't. And and it, I think it comes down to as well where, you know, what the in Virginia was saying about suspending the whole team. Again, I understand where it's coming from, but we don't even take the win away. To me, that's a drastic change from what we do now to what he wants to do. And I under, again, I totally understand that. I'm not trying to say it's it. And you know, I think it would be fun. It would be better system than what we have now. But we don't even take the win away right now. What I would like to see is step in the right direction to where we say, you know what, guys, let's start taking that win away. For some reason, NASCAR feels like. They don't want to do that. All the short tracks around the countries do that. Um, you know, I, I don't know about all of them, but the, a majority of them do that. And they don't have the social media or the power or anything that NASCAR has. So, you know, would it bother me if I walked out of that racetrack thinking today that Mark Trix Jr. was the winner and got the win taken away from him? You know how quick I would know that? I would know that through an alert on my phone that tells me Mark Trix Jr.'s win's taken away. Um, I think it's a PR mess in their opinion because now I left the racetrack knowing somebody won and um, they got the win taken away. And then when they when you try and compare it to other sports, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you're sitting there going, well, so basically I went to the Giants game today. The Giants won, but, but they had a penalty in the third quarter that uh, resulted in them winning. So you're going to take the win away because the other team would have won had it not been for that penalty in the third quarter. So I think NASCAR looks at it that way and says, it doesn't make a lot of sense because the guy who went to victory lane did, did the hat celebration, did everything um, that a winner should do, and he's going to win. He's a winner. That's why we're not going to take the win away. 
Here's um, one of the things. But again, they uh, do as that, you were saying with when you that, were saying about short right. tracks, Clayton, if you go to Tony Stewart's Eldora Speedway and they run the King's Royal 50, 50 lap for print car that's a huge day you know what they do before they go to victory lane the driver pulls on a scale if that car does not meet weight then the next car pulls on the scale the first car that passes the scale goes to victory lane that's the way it should be uh, or i agree cars got to get to the point where they say okay you pass pre-race inspection there's 500 miles you're putting on these cars, 400, 300, depending on whatever the race is. There's going to be movement in these cars. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be bangs. There's going to be cars hitting things. There's going to be adjustments made. If you pass pre-race, you're good. Let it go after that. They can take cars back to the uh, R&D center to learn from them and say, hey, we figured out you did this. Don't do it again. But right. it's it's sad that it's to the point where every Wednesday, before we do the show Wednesday night, what's the first thing we say? Wonder who's getting penalized this week. Yeah, instead, and that's where I, mean, I we're getting to the point where we accept it instead of damn, somebody got penalized and I'm ticked off about it. Where I well, here's my stance on it. If the car goes back to R and D and fails, I sit there and I go, as as much as I would like to take the win away, it's been three days. Since you know, or, or days since the winner was announced, that would kind of look bad. But we knew that car failed post-race inspection yesterday. What an hour after that race! So you're right. You know, why isn't there a reason that we can't put them on the scale, or however they they found out that car failed, and say, you know what, they failed post-race inspection, and they're going to get nabbed for it. I think the R&D center, what the R&D center would be cool for, is to take it back, break it down, and then tell the teams, listen, we got you this time. You do it again, uh, we're going to find you a lot of money. We're going to take points away from you, but we're not going to take the win away. Um, and maybe teams will say, oh, well, you know, we know what, it, what we can play in and still win a race. Uh, but if you take the points and everything away and don't take the win away, um, you know, that's the best you can do there, I think. It's just to me, after days, it, it kind of seems a little bit weird uh, than after the race. But I think it, there is a way where we should look at it and say, after the race – put them on a scale or put them on a, a, a quick inspection, even if you have to measure a few things. Um, and if they pass that, they go to victory lane. I'm okay with that for sure. I totally agree with you what you're saying. I bet TV well, you and radio as as they pull, wouldn't like as that. As soon as they pull into pit road, they check the lug nuts. Before they even yep. go do the hat dance or anything, they check lug nuts. So they can put the templates out there. They could have them drive through the OES after the, or the OSS, whatever the hell it is, after the race. They can have them drive through that, find out if they pass the OSS, and then the winner goes to victory lane. It would make, it would be a better PR move for NASCAR instead of every Wednesday. Okay, wonder who's getting popped this week. No, I totally agree, John. I think it would be it's certainly an interesting topic and one we can discuss at length here on Talking in Circles on Wednesday night. See you guys there. We'll be back here Wednesday night on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.